So I'm teaching about the testimony tonight. And Bruce, I'm going to pick on you, Bruce. Actually, I'm going to brag on God. Bruce walked into this meeting tonight, and that was a familiar face I haven't seen for a long, long time. Didn't remember his name, um, but I knew his face. And so he came up. Nobody, you guys weren't here yet. Nobody else was here. And I was able to have a minute to talk to him. And Bruce shared with me that he has been healed supernaturally of MS. I praise God. I just praise God with you, Bruce. So he told me a little bit of a story that he was diagnosed when he was in his 30s. And he's now seven, in his 70s. And he went through the progression of the disease. And I don't know exactly how pro, pro, progressed it was because we didn't get that far in our discussion. But he had had the disease for about 30 years. Pastor Tim would go to his house and pray with him. Pastor Tim would, would talk to him and meet him and encourage him. He came to meetings because I know him. He was here at the, two, at the Pastor Tim's meetings. So he was here feeding and, and being fed. He had scriptures he was meditating on. Pastor Tim would go to his home and spend time with him and pray for him. And then Pastor Tim gave him another suggestion or another nugget. And I'm sure it was Holy Spirit inspired. Pastor Tim said, take communion every day. And when he started taking communion every day, little by little by little by little, he got better and better and better and better. And he said he's been healed since 08. Isn't that awesome? Praise you, Jesus. So I told Bruce, I spent part of my day today visiting a woman who's, who's fighting MS. And um, she's very, you know, she's in a wheelchair. And today, um, I, all I did was pray for her. Usually we talk a lot. She loves to have company, and we talk about all sorts of amazing things about God. But today she couldn't talk because she had a, a really intense migraine. She had a surgery last week for something to do with the MS, and they had given her a um, spinal thing, and she had whatever you call it, a migraine as a result. And it was so intense she had to lay back with her eyes closed, and she told me I just to whisper, so I spent an hour and a half with her, whispering with power. And the, the migraine did improve. But your testimony, it blessed me so much. I've just been with this woman who is very debilitated, and, and then I see you healed. And it just encouraged me as the minister. I'm going to call Julia tomorrow, and I'm going to tell her your testimony. So thank you for sharing, Bruce. So what I'm teaching on tonight is the power of the testimony. And there is great power in the testimony. One of the things Pastor Tim has shared with all of us many times is that when you share your testimony, it does a lot. We're going to talk about a lot of that. But one of the things it does is it really helps you to hold on to your healing because you're feeding it. You're, you're declaring the works of God, the goodness of God. You're keeping your focus on how amazing God is. And as you continue to share your testimony, it is one of the tools the powerful tools to keep your testimony. So I'm going to talk about that later. But first of all, what is a testimony? This is a lot of notes on your sheet, so you can just kind of follow along. A testimony is a written or a spoken record of anything God has done. So when Bruce came in and told me about being healed of MS, that's a testimony. He was telling me of what God has done in him. I share little different odds and ends and pieces of my testimony every, almost every week. I'm sharing little bits that apply to the teaching and, and show 
um, the, the, uh, the reality of God made flesh today. Just like Jesus showed the reality of God made flesh when he was walking on this earth. Now here's a really interesting tidbit. Every testimony, that testimony, Bruce's testimony of being healed of, of MS, my testimony of being healed of cancer, Sherry's testimony of being healed of nerve pain from, from um, shingles, all of our testimonies are your story too. They're not just our story. It's not just Sherry's and Bruce's and my story. It's all of our story because we're all related to the God who made it happen. He's our father. We are the body of Christ. So it's our story. There's a beautiful scripture. This is Psalm 119 verse 111. And it says, your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever. And they're the rejoicing of my heart. As we take testimonies as our heritage, we're taking them for ourselves. That word heritage literally means something that comes or belongs to us by reason of birth. Now, it's not our natural birth. It's our spiritual birth or our rebirth. We're reborn. We're the sons and the daughters of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And because of that, it's our heritage. The testimonies of Jesus from our, our friends, from our family that have, that have received healing. It's our testimony too. So I like to think of it like this. In the world, we, we talk about what runs in the family. And sometimes it's not so good. Like maybe a bad knees run in the family or heart disease runs in the family or high blood pressure runs in the family. That's not so good. Of course, Jesus took care of all that. But let's look at it differently. Let's look at the positive light. Healing of cancer runs in our family. Healing of MS runs in our family. Healing of pain, that runs in our family too. That's our birthright. And it, we've seen it in different ones of our brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's also ours. Whether we've received it for ourselves yet or not, it's still ours. So what I'm going to share are four or five different truths about testimonies, and I'm going to give you biblical um, um, evidence of each of these truths. The first one is that testimonies reveal the, the heart and the nature of God. When Bruce shared with me about being healed of MS, he was showing me how much God loved him. He was, he was giving me evidence of God's heart and God's will, because that's what testimonies do. Jesus was the first living testimony of God. Jesus Christ lived a life testifying of who his daddy was. He was giving witness to who his daddy is and was. Everything Jesus said, everything he was, everything he did reflected the heart of God, the nature of God. He even said that two or three different times in the word where he says, um, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. He was so um, uh, in such deep relationship with his father that he saw the heart of the father and that's what he revealed to, to us. In Colossians 1.15, the Bible says, Now he, and that's referring to Jesus, Jesus is the exact likeness of the unseen God, the visible representation of the invisible. 
So when Jesus was doing miracles, reaching out to the lost, um, going to the, the sinners, the woman with adultery and not condemning her, all the stuff that he did, he was showing us the heart of the Father. He was making the invisible God visible. That's the word. That's the word. And that's truth. It says that Jesus is the exact likeness of the unseen God. That's truth. He made the invisible visible. That's truth. And he's still about doing his father's business today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. When he walked on the earth, what he did, that's still his will and and what he's doing today. And he's still going to be doing that. That's still his will and what he's going to be doing in the future. In verse 19 of the same chapter, this scripture says, It has pleased the Father that all the divine fullness, the sum total of the divine perfection, powers, and attributes should dwell in him, in Jesus, permanently. So it pleased the Father that Jesus was a picture of him. And I love the way it uses the word sum total. Because when you think about some total, it's like everything comes together and, and is, this is the total. It's the total picture of the perfection, the power, and the attributes of God. So Jesus' birth into a natural family. Jesus growing up, growing in wisdom and stature as he grew. Jesus being baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit and being launched into ministry. Jesus going and overcoming the temptation in the desert and the the enemy trying to attack him. And he had authority over the enemy. Jesus coming out of the desert and starting his ministry with miracles, signs, and wonders, preaching in the synagogues, sharing good news, sharing about the kingdom realm, sharing about uh, the 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 compassion of God as evidence through him. Remember when he went to the, the one that just grips my heart is the one where he went and healed the widows, brought him back to life. The son of the widow that was in a casket and they were taking the, the casket on a funeral procession. The woman didn't even know Jesus. I don't believe she didn't ask for healing, but the compassion of Jesus reached out to that woman who had lost her husband already and lost her only son and raised him from the dead. That shows us another piece of the compassion in the heart of God. Then we see Jesus when, with the ultimate, ultimate um, act of compassion when he chose to die for us, when he chose to take the stripes and go through the ridicule and the passion and all that and then die and, and you know, be separated from his father. All of that, add it all together, and so much more, because I just touched on a few things. Add all of that stuff up, and you have the sum total, the sum total of the divine perfection, powers, and attributes of God. It's a picture of divine fullness. Jesus is a picture of divine fullness. So when we... Well, let me back up again. I want to talk about Jesus first. I'm talking about the testimonies of Jesus as given to us through the accounts in the Bible. And then I'm going to talk about current day testimonies of Jesus. So let me stay in, in, um, with, with my message. So the accounts of Jesus, when Jesus walked on this earth, he was perfectly representing the Father. 
I like to say it like this. He was perfectly representing the father. Bill Johnson, one of Bill Johnson's quotes is that Jesus is perfect theology. Theology means the study of God and the nature of God. So when we study Jesus and the accounts of Jesus in the Bible, not just study, but when we look at him, when we come to know him, when we come to to be in relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, when we do that, we are learning about the heart of God. So that's the best theology there is. And Bill Johnson also says it's so important not to base your theology on experience, but only on Jesus. Don't mix the two up. Experience has nothing to do with truth. Experience doesn't always line up with truth. So keep your eyes on Jesus. That's your perfect theology. I want to give you an... Hi, Laura. It's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. So um, I want to give you an analogy about signs, about testimonies, and about the heart of God. And I want to use signs as an analogy. Think about right now a billboard. Signs when you're driving on the expressway. I'm going to give you a a little um, vignette. Let's say that you're a young family and you're going on vacation and you're taking your kids to Disney World, to Florida, and you're doing it on a road trip. So you're driving along. When you get about to Georgia, you start seeing those billboards and they're they're showing all about um, Disney World and all of the other theme parks that are going to be there. When your family, when your kids start seeing those signs, Oh boy, does the anticipation start building and they see all of the fun things that they're going to get to do and see and experience. But when they actually get to Disney World and they drive through the gates, they go through the, the, the first area where you can see the Magic Kingdom, they start experiencing and living and having fun in the, in the Magic Kingdom in, in Disney World. It's a whole lot different than those billboards. The signs pointed them to the destination, but the signs weren't the destination and the signs were nowhere near as magnificent as the destination. That's what testimonies are like. Testimonies are signs. Your testimony, Bruce, blessed me so much, but it's a testimony that points to something so much bigger. It's a testimony that points to God, the heart of God. The love of God, the plan, I'm sorry, spitting on you. The plan of God for all of us, for Julia, the lady I went to visit today, and the plan of God for all that have a need. It points us to something so much bigger. And that's one of the powerful things about testimonies. It shows us the heart of the Father. Now, we have a choice. We can be open to receive that benefit of the testimony. We can be open Or we can have some kind of a wall up. And when I share testimonies a lot, and sometimes I sense something that's kind of in the way. It might be um, a, a wrong teaching that you have and you don't really agree for some reason that it's God's will to heal. So when you see the testimony, you might think, well, that's good for them. But, you know, God doesn't always heal or something. It might be um, discouragement because maybe you haven't yet seen the manifestation. And when you hear the testimony, it's almost like, well, what about me, God? So there's all kinds of things that possibly 
may kind of be a, a, a hurt or hardness or woundedness or something over your heart and you're not receiving the full benefit of seeing the heart of God in the midst of that testimony and being connected to that destination instead of just the sign, but really be connected to that amazing destination, which is the love of God and the finished work of God that's for you too. It's not just for one or two or three people. It's for all of God's kids. So testimonies reveal the nature of God. The second thing I want to share is that testimonies create an expectation in you for the same thing to happen. If you're open, if you're open to receive and say, wow, God, then it it creates an expectation inside of you for the same thing to happen. That expectation, that stirring, it's, it's almost, in me anyway, it's almost like faith is like being stirred up when I hear testimonies like that. It's like there's an excitement, this um, uh, anticipation that kind of stirs up inside of my, my heart. It's directly connected to faith. Expectation and faith are directly connected. And I'm going to show you a scripture that says that. It's a very familiar scripture about faith. It's Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Remember I said faith and expectation are connected? Let's look at the first part of the scripture. It says, now, today, this very moment, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The word hope is expectation. It literally means to have that anticipation or that expectation of good, that expectation of the promise of God coming to pass in your life. That's what that word hope means. In the worldview, hope is just almost watered down. It's like just wishing it would happen. It would be nice if it happens. But the biblical definition of hope, that word, means confident and joyous anticipation or expectation. And the source of your expectation is the good news, is Jesus, the healer. The source of your expectation, the promises of God, the word of God, that's the source of that expectation. So I'm going to go back to the scripture. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith, the conviction, the being fully convinced that Jesus heals today, that faith That faith is the substance or the groundwork, the foundation for expectation, for hope. And when we see evidence of Jesus healing today, when we see those testimonies, when we hear those testimonies, something gets stirred in us that strengthens the conviction and increases our expectation because what happens is that when we hear those testimonies it fuels our faith it it pours a little um gas on the fire (laughs) and it gives this big explosion of of faith it just rises up and gets stirred up so it fuels testimonies fuel our faith the third thing i want to share 
And that's where I got ahead of myself a minute ago. The third thing I want to share is that there is a prophetic anointing on the testimony. Let me read the scripture and then I'll explain. Revelations 19.10 says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Testimonies of Jesus can be the testimonies and the accounts of Jesus from the word. And when we read the accounts, when we meditate on the accounts, we are feeding and fueling our faith. But it can also be the current day testimonies of Jesus, like we just heard from Bruce earlier. So the testimonies of Jesus, it says right here, are the spirit of prophecy. There is a Holy Spirit anointing power upon the testimony that gives it a prophetic um, uh, uh, value. Let me explain what a prophetic value is. The word prophecy has two parts. The first part of a prophecy is a divine declaration. When I say divine, it means it's from God. And it's through a person because that's how prophecies are given. But it is a divine declaration of the will of God. So when a a testimony is shared, you are divinely declaring the the will of God. So when, when I shared Bruce's testimony today, I was prophetically giving you a declaration of the will of God. We're seeing it right there, sitting in front of us. Through Bruce, who's healed. But that's only part of the prophecy. There's a second part to a prophecy. A prophecy also is a prediction of something to come. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. The word testimony, the Hebrew word testimony, means to do again. It means to be repeated or to be done again. So remember I said a prophecy has two parts, speaking it, so you're sharing it again and again and again, but also seeing it manifest again and again and again through more and more and more people. That's why I told Bruce, I'm going to call Julia tomorrow and tell her your testimony. Because there is a Holy Spirit anointing. It's not, it's not just, um, uh, oh, oh, you hear about, positive thinking. No, it is a Holy Spirit anointing. That's what this says. It is the spirit of prophecy. The Holy Spirit rests upon it. And it literally changes the atmosphere when we talk about testimonies. So the prophetic anointing doesn't just declare what God wants to do. It also carries a creative power to bring what is declared into being. The testimony releases that anointing. I'm going to give you evidence of that tonight. I'm going to share some testimonies where I've seen that happen. When we declare what God has done through a testimony, there's power released, Holy Spirit power released to make that testimony happen again in the lives of those who hear it. It actually um, changes the atmosphere. And that's true for any word of God that's given. No matter what is being taught, no matter what is being spoken from the word of God, there is an anointing for that to happen again. So maybe the teaching is about um, um, relationship healing. There's anointing for that to happen again. 
Maybe the teaching is about forgiveness. There's an anointing for that to be received and given in a very deep way. In this class, in this meeting, we talk about healing, all kinds of healing. And because we're sharing the word of God about healing, there is an anointing for that to happen right here. I just sense his presence right now as I'm just telling about his presence. I sense his presence. He's so good. He's so good. This is a Bill Johnson quote. God has hidden the miracle realm for us, not from us, in the mystery of the testimony. So hidden in these testimonies is a miracle for you. He's not hiding it from you. He's hiding it for you in the testimony. There's a prophetic anointing released through the testimony. So the next couple things I want to share is um, one is a little um, thing that I just want to expose because this is one of the, again, plans I'm sure of the enemy. And I love to expose his plans so that they get out of there and we don't deal with his junk. One of the things that people sometimes think is that they shouldn't share their testimony because then they're bragging about themselves. Well, it depends on how you share the testimony. Next week, I'm going to teach about sharing your testimony. So it does matter how you share your testimony. But the bottom line is that testimony is not about you. It's about God. It's about Jesus, the healer. It's all about Jesus. And as long as we give God the glory, as long as we're not just focused on the story and all of the details, but we're focused on the giver of the healing, the, the, the master, the one that paid the price, our healer, Jesus, as long as we're focused on him, we better be declaring our testimony. If we, for some reason, say, I can't share it because I'm bragging about myself, That is a lie. It's false humility. It's a subtle form of pride. It's not about you. It's about God and his goodness. And when we don't share our testimony, we rob people of their encounter with God. If there is a prophetic anointing on a testimony for that to happen again, you're robbing somebody of their healing. And you're robbing God of his glory. So one of the dangers out there is not sharing because you think that for whatever reason you're, you know, you're bragging. I share a lot of testimonies and I'm bragging on God every time I do. That's my heart is to point you guys and to point me to the heart of God. Here's another um, thing that sometimes happens. I call it forgetting the testimony. God tells us to remember the testimony. We're going to talk about that next. He tells us to remember to keep the testimony. But human nature is to, as things become more distant in the past, is to kind of let them grow um, less on, alive in our heart. And we start to talk about them less. We start to um, um, maybe not share as much. And when we do, that that stirring that has been fueling your faith kind of dies down a little bit. The fire kind of dies down a little bit. And when that fire kind of dies down a little bit, you're not expecting as much. 
You're not expecting to see the miraculous. Now, you're not intentionally doing it. It's just because you haven't been remembering the testimony as much. You've not been sharing it as much. You've not been talking about it as much. And it kind of becomes a little distant. And when that happens, the expectation kind of goes down. And when the expectation kind of goes down, you don't see as many miracles. You don't see as many healings. And when you don't see as many healings, then your faith for healings isn't as strong because you haven't seen as many healings. And it's just a downward spiral. God warns us about that. He tells us to diligently keep the testimony. To not forget it. To diligently keep it. And that's the next point that I want to give you. God instructs us to keep the testimony. Deuteronomy 6 verse 17 says, You shall diligently keep. And then he gives us three things to keep. You shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies, and his statutes that he's commanded you. We're going to focus on testimonies, but I want to just briefly um, give you a, a, little, a little definition of commandments and statutes in, in the way that it helps me to understand this. A commandment is a charge that God has given us to watch over and keep. Now, we are new covenant children, and the new covenant commandment is to love God and to love our neighbors. And the word says that everything else is fulfilled when we love God and love our neighbors. All of the laws fulfilled. I'm not quite sure how it's worded. I don't want to get into the thou shalt and the thou shalt nots because that's not our God. He has completely um, defeated, the, or not defeated, fulfilled He has fulfilled the law. So we really don't need to go there. But he has given us the commandments to take charge. Charges given to us to watch over and keep. Statutes are guidelines to live by and observe and guard for our own protection in life. I was thinking as I was preparing this about Psalm 91 and how Psalm 91 gives us a very, very um, powerful statute. And it says um, to, to dwell in that secret place, to dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. And then the whole rest of the psalm is a psalm of protection. As we stay in that place of Um, dwelling and permanently being in the place of that secret place and under the shadow, then all of those protections are for us. So that's that's a direction for us to live the fullness of life he has for us, to stay in that place, and then he'll take care of protecting our families, protecting us and our loved ones and our families from every area. That's another whole teaching. But that's an example of a statute. Testimonies. That's what we've been talking about. Testimonies that point us to the heart of God, the nature of God. Testimonies that stir up an expectation for that to happen again. Testimonies that have a Holy Spirit anointing upon them to be repeated, both in word and action. Testimonies show us what to expect. Testimonies fuel our faith. And God says, keep the testimony. 
I believe he so powerfully tells us to keep the testimony because he knows what it's going to do for us. He wants us to live a life that's full, that's overflowing. And keeping the testimony is one of the ways to fuel our faith, to stir our expectancy, and to receive what he has for us. That word keep in the Hebrew means to watch over, to preserve, to protect to treasure up in your heart and in your memory, to celebrate, to observe, and to guard. So he's saying, with your testimony, whatever it is, how small, how big, the pieces of your testimony, whatever, watch over it, store it in your heart, treasure it. Watch over it, protect it, celebrate it, guard it. A keeper of a testimony isn't someone who keeps it to themselves. That's not the definition of a keeper of a testimony. A keeper distributes it. Next week, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about being a keeper of the testimony. We're going to talk about distributing it and how to share it in a way that gives God all the glory. But I want to give you some practical steps on how what you can do to keep the testimony, some steps you can take. The first one is to journal. And I know journaling sounds like a lot of work. You don't have to be a good writer. But if you have a little notebook and whenever there's a God incident in your life, just jot it down. We forget testimonies. Remember I talked about that process of forgetting and and expectation getting less and less and faith getting less and less and seeing less and less miracles? Oh, you don't want to do that. You want to remember it. And you don't remember everything if you don't write it down. Remember a couple of weeks ago when I told you how God set my alarm? For those of you who weren't here, just a real short version. Um, I had purposed to set my alarm earlier to spend more time with God because I kept hitting the snooze. And my alarm, my time that I intended to get up was about six, 30 minutes later because I would hit the snooze like three times. And so my time had shrunk. And I said, God, I don't want that. So I want to set my alarm earlier. So even if I hit the snooze once or twice or even three times, I'll still have, you know, that extra half an hour. And I told him that in my heart, but I didn't do it. One day it went off my time and I hit the snooze three times. But the next day my alarm was set at the time I intended to set it. But I didn't change my alarm. You know how that blessed me to know that my daddy cared so much that he wanted to spend time with me. He knew that I wanted to, but he just helped me out a little bit. And he changed my alarm. And my alarm isn't easy to set. Kent can't set it. And he does every clock in the house when the time changes, except my alarm clock. But God changed it. So I journaled it. That's a testimony in my heart. I don't want to forget it. So journal all of those testimonies. My book, my first book, A Blessed Journey, my testimonial book, that's based on my journal. And that's what I did. Every little God incident during my healing journey, I wrote down. And that became the source of my book. So journal those things. That's the first one. Number two, remember your testimonies. Get those books out, those journals out. Read them out loud. When you're in the middle of a battle... You need to look at those things that God has done for you. Keep them in front of you. 
Rejoice and thank God for all of the things that he has done for you. Declare them out loud. Remember your testimonies. Take time to rehearse them, speak them, remember them. What you're doing when you're, when you're rehearsing them or speaking them out loud or looking and reading them out loud again is you're renewing your mind with what God has done. And that past becomes the lens through which you see your current situation. So you might be in the middle of something you haven't yet seen the result of, but because of all of your testimonies, you see that thing through the lens of the testimony that you've already lived or perhaps through other people's testimonies. Number three, feed on testimonies. This is Pastor Tim's great advice. Find testimonies wherever you can find them and let them feed and fuel your faith. I just discovered this week when I was preparing for this teaching that Andrew Womack has a huge part of his website that is free video testimonies, and they are very well done. I know that his healing journeys, Andrew's healing journeys, are available on DVD, but you have to buy them. They're quite expensive. You can go on his website and play any of them for free. We're going to see one of them tonight. There, I have lots of testimonies on our website. They're in written form, but you can go and read testimonies. There are 700 club testimonies. There's testimonies everywhere. They're easy to find, easy to access. So feed on testimonies. Okay, so now I'm going to make a little shift, and I'm going to start sharing testimonies about the power of the testimony. I'm just going to share a couple of them, and then I'm going to show you a video testimony before we pray and and minister. Um, Remember, there's an anointing. Remember, a spiritual anointing on a testimony for it to be repeated. So I'm going to share how I've seen that happen in numerous occasions. First thing I want to share is when I first received healing, I wasn't a teacher about healing. I wasn't doing anything. I had just gotten healed, and I was a baby Christian. But the first three people that came to me and asked me to share what had happened because they were in the middle of a battle, the first three people also got healed when I shared my testimony. And they were all cancer situations. One of them was terminal brain cancer. This particular man lived in the state of Washington. He was a friend of one of Kent's work colleagues. I happened to be in the state of Washington. I've only been there once. I was in Washington because our son was going to college at an arts institute in Washington. And he had had a broken arm from a ski accident. I went out there because he had to have surgery. So I was in the state of Washington. And this phone call came from a man who was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. They had done surgery. They saw the cancer. They said, it's terminal. He called me. I shared my testimony. I shared the promises that I was learning. I sent him, I had my husband send him a Charles Capps healing scripture book. A couple months later, he was completely healed. The second one, the second two, the next two, were people that I worked with, both teachers that I worked with. And they're both in my book. Both of the second and third testimonies are in my first book, um, in a a section of testimonies. One of them was a a woman whose husband had a big mass on his arm, in this area of his arm. And they were very suspicious that it was cancer. She came to me immediately 
before they did anything, she came to me and I shared my story again with her. I shared what I had done, which was simply to take the medicine of the word, to start reading the Bible and start praying. So she and her husband did that together. When they took that tumor off, the first report was stage, I'm sorry, high grade sarcoma. Bad news. They took that mass and then they sent it to the pathologist. The first report, I believe, was a, a frozen biopsy. They do right in the, the surgery room. Then they sent it to the pathologist. It came back low-grade sarcoma, which was better news. Then they sent it to another pathologist because it was dis disagreeing, high-grade and low-grade. And when they sent it to the third one, it came back no disease. They said it was an anomaly that it looked like sarcoma, but it really wasn't sarcoma. And this family is alive and well today. That was the second one. The third one was another teacher from my school, and her son had an accident where he had a blood work done. And when they did the blood work, the accident wasn't a big deal. But when they did the blood work, his blood was very out of balance. His hemoglobin, his platelets, his white blood, his red blood, and they were suspicious of cancer. They sent her and her son and her, and her husband to a hematologist, which is an a oncologist for blood cancers. And before she went, um, same thing, she came to me. And uh, I shared with her the little bit of truth I knew I shared with her. And she applied it. And she declared all the time, day and night, until she took her, her son to that doctor, by the stripes of Jesus, my son is healed. By the stripes of Jesus, my son is healed. By the stripes of Jesus, my son is healed. And when they, they went to the hematologist and had Brendan looked at, everything was fine. And they also said it was an anomaly for him, that that was normal for him. And he is now a senior in high school. He was three years old at the time. So the first three people I shared my testimony with were immediately healed immediately got good reports that caught my attention i saw the amazing power of god even more than when i had been healed i saw that it wasn't just up for me it just wasn't once in a while it was a hundred percent the first three people i shared with were healed the next testimony i want to share is another example of the power the anointing on the testimony and the power of the testimony. And it happened a few years ago when Kent and I were in Florida. I had taken my new Bible study to a church to share it with them and to see if they wanted to use it in their church for a small group. In the midst of the meeting, there were three or four church leaders in that meeting. In the midst of the meeting, it changed from a, do you want to use my Bible study meeting to a healing meeting? And I started, they, they asked me to pray and I started praying for people. They stopped at one point and they said we have to go get paul i didn't know who paul was but they brought this man named paul who was also a, a, a leader in the church and paul had just gone through um, a lot of tests because it, he was having a lot of symptoms that were pointing to prostate cancer and he had already had whatever tests they do but he hadn't yet gotten the results and he was consumed with fear the doctor said it looks like prostate cancer and everything is pointing to prostate cancer so that's what he told me before we prayed and then we laid hands on him and we declared the report of the lord 
and a good report that would line up with God's report. The next day I got a call from this man, Paul, ecstatic, saying he got the doctor's report and there was absolutely no cancer. Praise God. But then he told me that he had a man visiting, a young man who was like a son to him. He called him his surrogate son. And um, he was also diagnosed with prostate cancer. He was a young man. He was probably in his 30s, maybe early 40s. He was married and he hadn't yet had children. And in his case, the cancer was so advanced that um, it was considered stage four. It was metastasized to his pancreas, and there was a tumor on his pancreas the size of a grapefruit. They had tried to do treatment, but the chemo, he wasn't able to um, take it, and they said there was nothing else they could do. So here is this father figure who had just gotten a really good report about prostate cancer, and his heart is pouring out for this young man who was like a son to him. And he said, could you come and pray for him, or could we get together and pray for him? The next day, Kent and I were flying out um, uh, from Sarasota, and they lived near Sarasota. So we made a plan to meet in the ticketing area of the airport. God is everywhere. He's so fun. So in the ticketing area, we went about a half an hour early before we needed to be there, and we met with this young man and his wife, Paul and his wife, and Kent and I, and we shared the same thing. The word of God, the promises of God, the will of God. We gave him a little healing scripture book that Kent happened to have in his backpack. And and we prayed for him. We laid hands on him and we prayed for him. He went back home and he went to another medical center to have another round of tests, another um, uh, opinion. The the, the, um, uh, tumor that had been the size of a grapefruit was now the size of a pea. It went from incurable, nothing they could do, to completely treatable and curable. And he is completely well today. That's the power and the anointing upon a testimony. So what we're going to do now is we're going to watch one of the um, Andrew Womack healing journey testimonies. And then I'm going to share three more that I saw this week. And then, with the anointing of the testimony that is here in this atmosphere, we're going to minister. This testimony is about 12 minutes long. It's an amazing... Pastor Tim would call it a five-star testimony. So, enjoy. The neurologist comes in, he he examines her, and tells me, once we put the little hole in her head to relieve the pressure from the aneurysm, 10% chance she survives that. If she survives that, she won't come out of the operating room the next morning. I said, you know, those are great facts, but uh, Jesus Christ has healed her 2,000 years ago. She's going to be just fine. And he looked at me and said, do you understand what I'm telling you? To see God's will come to pass, you have to be willing to look crazy. When Bud's wife, Gina, fell into a coma from a sudden stage 5 brain aneurysm, he did not care what the doctor's report said or if his beliefs offended those around him. All Bud cared about was seeing God's will come to pass through his wife's full recovery. This is the story of how the friends and partners of Andrew Womack Ministries helped one family from Phoenix, Arizona believe God's word in the midst of an impossible situation. This is the healing journey of Gina Boop. I get to the hospital 
Doctors are asking my dad questions. I reminded him, you know, everything that we had read about healing, you know, we need to stand on that. I was thinking, okay, with long life will I satisfy you? And I, re I remember at the time I was thinking, okay, so this is, this is not long life. Dr. Sapphire goes in and he tells me that there's a, there's a Y in the back of her head. The aneurysm was right in between the Y. One goes to walking, one goes to talking. He said, which one do you want me to cut off? I remember in one of Andrew's teachings, he said, how you start a battle is usually how you finish it. So I thought, I've got to stand strong, and this is where I'll start from. And I said, cut off walking. It doesn't matter, she'll be, she'll be fine. He said, no, she'll need assistance when she walks, if she ever walks again. And I said, no, Doc, she's been healed 2,000 years ago by Jesus Christ. She's going to be just fine. And he kind of looked at me with a blank stare. Knowing Gina's life depended on the Holy Spirit guiding the brain surgeons, Bud called his family physician, Dr. Douglas Bales, and had him talk with the head neurologist, Dr. Sapphire. Unknown to the neurologist at the time, Dr. Bales was also a fan of Andrew's teachings and believed wholeheartedly in the healing power of Jesus. He shared what was going on, said there's less than a 10% chance of living here based on what he could see. Explained the situation, what he was to do, and I said, Dr. Sapphire, can I pray with you? And so he prayed for him and said um, in his prayer something to the effect of, you know, I think that you're going to go in, you're going to see things that you didn't think you'd see. It's going to turn out better than you thought you ever could have it turn out, and then it's going to be a miraculous result. I didn't know what Dr. Sapphire's religious background was, if he was even open, but he accepted and... And said, okay, and, and walked into the operating room. When he came out, he said, we've made a giant leap forward, but 25% chance she makes it through the next three days. And I said, so you're saying I'm one of the 25? And he said, well, I guess, but she's going to have seizures. And I said, no, doc, she's not. She's not going to have seizures. She's been healed by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. She's going to be just fine. That night, I'm getting ready to go to sleep. I said, dear God, you know, I need... I need some visions of where are we going to be? What are we going to be doing? And um, I remember that night I went to sleep, and first thing I have a dream of is my wife and I walking through Costco. And I thought, oh, well, my favorite store. And then uh, we're playing at the park with our dog, Bentley, and we're throwing the ball and playing catch with him, and we're walking different places. And I remember waking up in the morning and just thinking, okay, I got this. The day after surgery, Bud had called Andrew Womack, and Andrew just prayed a beautiful prayer of faith and declaring Gene to be healed. But, and I believe that there is just a gift of faith, your supernatural gift of faith, rising up on the inside of him to be able to look beyond every negative thing that is said, what he may see with his eyes. And Father, we just believe your word, that you want us well, that you've already provided this for Gina. And so Bud and I agree, and we speak this healing into our body. There were a lot of aspects as far as the prayer was concerned that I didn't quite understand, you know, that he would be able to look past the doctor's reports. And I'm thinking, 
why are you telling me all this? Because she's healed. This is this is a done deal. I didn't realize that along the way there were these things that I would come up against and that I had to be prepared. We would put in Alan and Debbie Moore and I was trying to figure where she gathering her strength from. I just opened my Bible and I said, God, I said, what is it that you, what is it that I need to know now? And he gave me Romans 8, 6. Debbie, he said, you can do this carnally and bring death or you can do this spiritually and bring life. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and truth. And it was a black and white situation. Any negative thing or any negative people that are there, you need to either clear them out or you need to any negative thing that's spoken over Gina, you need to make sure you counteract that. Every day we'd go in there, okay, today she's gonna wake up. And if she didn't by the next day, okay, she's gonna wake up today. We just said that and expected it. We had a pictorial of Gina at the end of the bed, so each nurse knew this is who you're dealing with. You're not dealing with what you see there in the bed. You know, we look cuckoo to the doctors. I would rather us look cuckoo than lose my mom. We had one doctor who came in the room with all of his interns and he started speaking all the stuff about Gina. And I said, if you have anything else to say as far as Gina's concerned, say it outside the room because None of that's going to happen to her. She's been healed by Jesus Christ. And when you walk away from this, you're gonna go, holy cow, this is a miracle. One of the nurses who was on the floor suggested that maybe the doctor would wanna to speak to me. He's let me put it to you this way. She's the sickest patient in any hospital in the city of Phoenix right now. And he looked at me and he said, and I'm telling you, she is not walking out of this hospital alive. And I need your help in helping your friend accept that fact and come to terms with it. I remember thinking, man, you don't know my friend, bud. These are not things that he just, like beliefs that he just adopted in the last week or two since his wife got sick. These are things he's believed in for years. This is the way this man is wired. I've been in a lot of hospitals and I've been in a lot of hospital rooms. But that room was one of the most faith-filled environments I'd ever stepped into in my life. While holding on to the promise that God wanted Gina well, Bud only allowed visitors who believed the same. Of these visitors was his niece, Jenny, whom Bud introduced to Andrew's teachings when she was pregnant with twins, who were diagnosed with hypoplastic heart syndrome. Years later, with her twins alive and well, Jenny was happy to return the favor. I would just read over her all the time, scriptures, and we'd pray together. We'd pray Andrew's prayer over her, and let, listen in scriptures, and then we would just share. We'd just share testimonies and how God's been such a blessing in our lives, and that's what we kind of focused on a lot. Jenny brought all the Andrew Womack books. I mean, I busted through, you've already got it. There was a particular page in chapter 10 would speak directly to what I was looking for. So I took a picture of it. So each time I would, I would have something come up, I'd go back down and I'd read that page again. From there, you know, we believed that God had already provided her healing. It was just a matter of it manifesting into the physical, even if it took longer than, you know, Jesus just raising her from the bed that she was in. One day we opened up her eyes and we we're both just a foot away from her. And she goes like this and looks at both of us. I woke up and I'm like, what the heck? You know, why is he doing that? And then Rachel showed me, mom, here's where you've been. I didn't realize that I'd been 
in a coma. I didn't realize that it had been weeks. After spending six grueling weeks in the hospital, Bud was finally able to bring Gina home, though a few symptoms still lingered from the brain aneurysm, which left her with a severely crossed eye and difficulty walking without assistance. Knowing that Jesus had paid for her complete healing, Bud and Rachel opted to give Gina their own form of rehab. Bud and Rachel began their occupational therapy, physical therapy, everything they did themselves. We went to a trainer, Lance Dreer, and he worked on every muscle that I had. Gina's a rare individual. She didn't take no as an answer. Anytime a person has a disability, the outlook is incredible incredibly critical. Of course, their attitude was always positive, never saw it once negative. People would say, she may walk, but she'll need assistance. And we were searching for those scriptures. Where's that partial healing that Jesus did? Where did he just kind of leave the blind man with one blind eye and one, one eye where he could see through? And, and oh, it's not there. When they, people were healed, they were healed completely. It's up to you to start acknowledging what God has done and you stand up and take your authority and use some faith and begin to believe that death and life are in the power of the tongue and speak to those cancers, curse it, resist the devil and command him to get out of your life. Today, Gina is completely well. Not only can she walk without any assistance, her eyesight is completely normal and there are no side effects left from her stage five brain aneurysm. Being nothing short of a miracle, her healing has left doctors both baffled and inspired. For someone even to survive a brain aneurysm is incredible. Okay, and if they do survive it and they don't have a limitation or they have a severe disability, is even more incredible, all right? But in her case, you look at her, you say, what happened? I can't really see that. He would go outside the room and he would say, Doc, there's gonna be a holy cow demonstration, as well as his famous sentence. We still laugh about it, but she definitely had a great outcome. I would say this is the victory of a prayerful man. He had a true faith in God. And he, was, he believed in Jesus Christ and his miraculous healing power. He was the key. He, he did that. The facts as presented to us by the world around us are not the facts. You know, the facts are what Scripture declares to be true. And Bud's story, I think, is an amazing encouragement and a reminder to us all to keep our eyes focused on the provision of God that's made through Jesus Christ. I think the only thing that I would share is how important it is that we renew our minds daily, that you learn and make it a part of you. I have since gotten married and I've had a baby and she's coached me through my pregnancy and how to be a good wife and gives me advice. Life today? Every day is an adventure. I don't look at each day and take it for granted. I have my wife, the love of my life. Well, yeah, as far as Costco is concerned, we've been back there several times. And Gina's story is just one example of the countless lives that have been restored through the free teachings made available through Andrew Womack Ministries. So did you hear in the midst, did you hear in the midst of that testimony, the unwavering, unswerving, faith. And like the, the one friend of the family said, that's not something that just started in the last few days after the wife got sick. That was deep in their hearts and out of his mouth, his heart was speaking. The same thing with the daughter. I'm going to share three testimonies now 
that happened all at once last week, within all in the same day. And whenever that happens, I I believe God's speaking something bigger than the than each individual testimony. Each individual testimony is an amazing gift, an amazing treasure that Jesus paid for. But to, for them all three to happen on one day, I believe is a sign from God that heaven is opening. Heaven is invading earth here on Ro- in Rochester, here in Troy. So our, our girls aren't here. They're healed, but they're not here today. But I've got three testimonies of ladies you know. The first one that called me was, her name's Freddie. She goes to Life Christian Church. Now, let me rephrase these. These are good reports. These are not the final good report yet, but they will be. But they are amazingly good reports. Freddie is the woman that sang a song about a month ago. And she has been walking, and she reminds me so much of this family. She is a fireball of rejoicing in the goodness of God and in the midst of her battle with cancer. And she went for the first set of scans and is making tremendous progress. She had a lot of fluid in different parts of her abdomen, and the fluid is all gone. She had a tumor on her um, uh, intestines. The tumor is, is being removed and, you know, reduced. She's making phenomenal progress. And the doctor said, the evidence, the doctor said this, is in how good she's feeling. She feels wonderful. You've seen her, you know, she's filled with life and joy. That was the first call I got. The second call and the third call came on top of each other. Literally, one phone call, a voicemail, text upon the phone calls. It all happened at the same time. I was eating dinner on Saturday night, and all of a sudden, everything was coming. One of them is um, Christine Carroll. Christine Carroll. She sat right here last week. Um, She was diagnosed with um, ovarian cancer, and she had... Um, a lymph node that was positive for ovarian cancer. They found out that it was varying through the pathology report or whatever. And so she had a complete hysterectomy. And this was the report. Best possible results and best clinical outcome. So I talked to her today. I've talked to her several times this week. And the doctors were thrilled They were absolutely thrilled. She's doing excellent. She's in recovery right now. She said she will be here next week. But that was a really good report. So that was the second really good report I got. And the third one is Suzette. Suzette had a scan last week, and she got a lot of you are going, "Uh uh-huh, Suzette's been coming for a long time. I don't know. I think she told me last week she was going on vacation because I usually talk to her. But anyway, um, she had a, a scan, and the tumor tumor, I don't know exactly how or how many there were, has reduced by 75%. Yes. 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 Yay, God. And we know, we've been watching these women, these ladies, and they have been faithful. And one of the things I've seen, one of the common denominators I've seen is being open, being teachable, being um, choosing to come to the healing meeting, even when, even when you may not feel like it. Maybe you're not feeling your best and, and being consistent and um, knowing God, knowing his goodness. And just like this family, growing deeper and deeper and more firmly rooted. And those testimonies, I know they're just going to continue to roll in. God is good. God is good. God is good. I am just looking around and I see testimony after testimony sitting in front of me. Jennifer is just thriving 
a new woman. She had a, a diagnosis and she is well. She is strong. I don't even like to talk about all of this stuff if I don't need to. I mean, um, I'm just looking around. Tim, you have lived through so much and you have overcome what seemed to be insurmountable with God in your life. So um, Leah and your baby Eva, we've seen Eva make tremendous progress. And you, I mean, you're a different mama than you were when I met you. She was consumed with fear over her daughter who has very severe allergies. But Eva is starting to, to show progress of, of, of being healed of those allergies step by step, one step at a time. And this mama is now a mama of faith instead of a mama of fear. Yeah. I mean, huge, impactful differences we're seeing in lives. And I mean, I could go on and on and on and on and on. So I just praise you, Jesus. I want to pray right now. Actually, I'm going to read one scripture. And then we're going to move into um, timing. Where are we at? I have a song I really would like to worship with and I want to pray. I don't know. We'll see where God goes. But let me read this next scripture. This is Revelation 12:11. This is the last scripture. This is Suzette. This is Christine Carroll. This is um, Freddie. And this is every one of you, whether you have seen that doctor's report yet or not. They overcame... And they conquered him. That's the enemy. They conquered him. How? With the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. For they did not love their life and renounce their faith even when faced with death. Now I know this context is different because it talks about the end of times when people are being persecuted and martyred. But there, we've had death sentences in this room. People in this room with death sentences. And they did not renounce their faith. Even when faced with a death sentence. Instead, you're believing God's word. The blood of the lamb, the the testimony that has been paid by Jesus, the price that has been paid in full, and the word of our testimony. Testimony. The testimony of Jesus, the testimony of Jesus in present day situations. That's how they overcame and that's how we overcome. Amen.